For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Now what is this in the context of? What just happened right before this? Jesus celebrating the last Passover or the last supper with his disciples, right? And as you compare the four Gospels, a lot happens during this crucial time in his relationship with his beloved disciples. These guys gave up everything to follow him. Their livelihoods, their reputations, spending time with their families, all to be a part of Jesus' ministry. And so we see Jesus giving more or less his last words to his disciples before the inevitable he knows will happen very shortly. They're words of hope. For he tells them he was going to prepare a place for them in his father's heavenly city. They're words of strength. For he tells them that he is one with the father and to see him means that they've seen the father. They're words of promise, for he tells them that everything that would soon happen to them, what would soon happen to him in Jerusalem, needed to happen. And he needed to return to the Father so that he could gift them the Holy Spirit to indwell them. He tells them that he is leaving them with his peace, a peace unlike anything the world could ever give to them. He commands them to remain connected to him. Because he was the vine and they were the branches, deriving their power, their strength, and their sustenance from an unbroken relationship with him. After promising them that after their soon-to-come time of grief, they would rejoice with wonderful joy, he prays a powerful prayer for them and for us too the disciples who would come after the original disciples, that God would keep them protected as Jesus loves us. And all of this is found in the Gospel of John, in John chapters 13 through 17. Four entire chapters of these loving and powerful last words. And I went through all of that to set up this context. After that beautiful message... And observing the Last Supper as Jesus instituted what would be the elements of the new covenant that we have on the table here, his body and his blood, what we celebrate as communion today, what happens? Verse 24. There arose a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be the greatest. The disciples After all this, the disciples start to fight over which one of them was the greatest. Does this scene remind anyone here of any thanksgivings with uncouth relatives? It's like sitting at the kids' table with a bunch of 10-year-olds arguing about who's the best at Mario Kart. It's mind-blowing how immature these, these guys were acting. It's like they didn't take anything Jesus said seriously. Where was their focus? Themselves and their positional status in life and the life to come. So Jesus had to correct their mindset and direct it back to what he's been trying to talk to them about all this time. 
he tells them, the way you're acting right now is like a bunch of pagan heathens. He didn't want anything to get past them. You're acting like a bunch of pagan heathens right now. This kind of thinking has no place in the kingdom of God. My kingdom is one of service. My kingdom is one of service. It's one of putting others ahead of yourself. Towards the end of our few verses today, Jesus says, Now you would think that the guy reclining at the table was the greater one, but I'm here to serve. And if I'm the one who serves and not the guy who's perceived as anything great, what does that tell you? I'm sure that was a punch in the gut for these guys who were just arguing who, over who was the greatest, right? If the Son of God is serving, what does that tell you? Jesus did not want it to go for one second that the life following Him, that is the biblical Christian life, was anything but one of service. Serving God first and foremost and serving Him by serving His people and others in the world to bring them to Jesus. As we come to the Lord's table to observe His instituted Lord's Supper together as one family, let that truth resonate in our hearts. If Jesus' whole mission the first time He came to earth was to serve and only serve, which we know it was, what does that tell us about what our whole life's mission should and must and shall be? To serve. As we partake in what represents Jesus' broken body, remember what He has commissioned us to do with these bodies that He bought and paid for to redeem and now owns. As we partake in what represents Jesus' blood, remember what He has commissioned us to do with our life's blood and breath and being. Let us not desecrate the elements of the suffering servant by thinking our life's purpose is anything other than serving our King. And as we partake in these elements, let us remember the whole point of Jesus instituting communion. And what is that? To remember. To remember Him. To, to remember what He has done for us and that He will return for us. And in remembering Him, we remember what He has called each and every one of us to do. To make known the message of His glorious gospel to shed the light of His grace into the darkness of one more soul, to rescue one more person from the precipice of their sinful hopelessness, and to do it all by following the example of the one who is clear about what His mission was. And His mission was serving. So let us remember Him. Remember what His mission was and what our mission must be as we partake in these elements as individuals and as a church and remember His mission of service to this world. I'm going to invite the deacons forward to pass out that which represents the body of Christ which was broken.